All right, if you're here this morning and you haven't been in recent weeks or if you're a visitor, uh, you have come to Grace Community Church in the middle of a short series. We're going through a real short series on the Psalms. Uh, we're week two into this series and we'll be a couple more weeks. So today we're going to talk about something that's not talked about very often uh, in the churches that I've been exposed to. Okay, Some people call this topic spiritual depression. We're going to talk about this today. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say to us today about places in the Christian life that seem like turmoil. We're going to dig into this. Uh, we need God's help. We need God to speak to us. And so we're about to go to the Lord in prayer. And we're about to ask God to move. Not this week sometime. We're going to ask God to move in our lives right now. We're going to ask the Lord to speak to us from His Word. So let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning. Lord, we want to worship You, God. And we can declare that You are a glorious God and there's none like You. And You have called us into this relationship with Yourself, Lord. You've revealed Yourself to us. And we know You. And You're our Father in Heaven. And Lord, we want to, we want to know Your ways, God. And we cry out as Your people that You would teach us, God. Teach us how to navigate hard seasons of life to Your glory, to Your praise. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning that are discouraged or distracted. God, we pray that You would lift our face to the heavens today. God, we cry out. Let there be power in Your house, Lord. You're the, we are the church of the living God and You are the living God. And we pray, God, that You would be the lifter of our heads today. God, that You would break through unbelief and distractions. Lord, whatever it may be, distractions that keep us from hearing Your Word. Distractions in marriage, distractions in family, distractions, Lord, at work, or whatever it may be that would cause us, God, not to lean in and listen. Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that You would arrest our attention. Arrest our attention, Lord, and come speak to Your people. God, we cry out to You today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, our text this morning is Psalm 42. So I want everybody to turn there. And we're going to start by reading the words of God together. I want everybody's eyes, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want everybody's eyes on Psalm 42, and we're going to read through it. Right? And we say this often at this church, and I want to remind, remind you of this again. This is the mo these are the most important words that you will hear in the next 45 minutes to an hour. These words are the words of the Holy One Himself without error, the words of the living God. God is about to speak to us from His Word. So I want to encourage you to prepare to be addressed by the living God as we read His Word together. Psalm 42. Psalm 42. The heading in your Bible should say something like this. A mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And the first thing I hope you notice this morning is the sadness of places in the Word of God. The sadness of this song. This is not a happy song. Okay, this is a sad psalm. I, I hope you can identify with this. I've experienced this in my life and I know many of you. I love many of you. And I've seen you walk through seasons like this. This is sad. There's a note of sadness to the psalm. I want to help set this in a context. And I want to dive in first to the author of who, who is writing these words to us this morning. And I want to call your attention to the heading. This is... This, this is one of the, the sons of Korah. This is who wrote this for us. The sons of Korah. This is a subgroup of priests. Subgroup of, a, of the Levites, of the priests of God. And they were actually appointed to oversee the temple ministry of singing. Listen to Second Chronicles. Chapter 20, verse 19. It says, The Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. These were the men that were appointed by God to burn like a torch in His presence and to lead His people in worship. The sons of Korah. Basically, temple worship leaders in Israel. One of these men wrote this song. One of these men. Obviously, this was a godly man that loved the Lord. And as you read this, we are getting a snapshot into the heart of this godly man. And his soul is not well. His soul is not well. His soul is in turmoil within him. His soul is cast down. So I want to give you a warning on the front end. Okay, Today... It is our intention to go way past surface level, happy, clappy Christianity. Uh, name it, claim it, fake it till you make it Christianity. Every day's a Friday. Too blessed to be stressed Christianity. We're going way past that. And we're going to press in to these words from God. God's going to teach us something from His Word. Here we have an example of a godly man. A man who loved the Lord that has fallen under spiritual depression. His soul is in turmoil. He's in a spiritual drought. He is downcast. Things are not well with this man's soul. What this means for us is that this psalm, let's just get some things out front before we unpack this. This psalm stands in blatant contradiction to the so-called prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. That the moment that you believe in Jesus, you become rich, you become wise, you become healthy... 
and that you have no problems in life from that moment on. This psalm stands as a spirit-empowered push against the prosperity gospel. This man loves the Lord and his soul is in turmoil within him. People that love God, they are not insulated from problems and troubles in this world. Amen? Are you aware of that as a disciple of Jesus? That disciples of Jesus, you are not insulated from problems in this world. In fact, as disciples of Jesus, you have no hope of sidestepping trials and troubles in this life. No hope. Listen to the Word of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. And how about this for a reminder of what we signed up for as followers of Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. You signed up to walk the hard path. The way is hard that leads to life. Somebody might need to hear this today. The Christian life, it is not supposed to be easy. If someone told you that, they lied to you. The Christian life is a war. It's a fight. It's a battle. There are seasons of lament and mourning in this world. Jesus has promised us this. And this psalm stands as an example of this. Psalm is titled a masculine. That's in your heading of the psalm, a masculine. And it's hard to be certain what this word means, but the best definition that we can come up with is that that word means an instructive song to the people of God. So God gave us in Psalm 42 a song that is meant to instruct us, to instruct us. So we're about to gaze into the the heart of this man that loves the Lord, but he's fallen into turmoil. He's fallen into spiritual depression. And as we gaze into this example, God wants to teach us something this morning from His Word. The first thing that God wants to teach us is that this is going to happen to you. Okay? Many of you are familiar with this already. This is going to happen to you. You will, as a disciple of Jesus, you will have to learn how to navigate through seasons of sadness, seasons of coldness towards Christ, seasons of sorrow. And this psalm is instructions from God when those seasons hit us. And if you're in the middle of one of these seasons right now, this is divine instruction from God. God has not left us to wander through these seasons. God has spoken to us. What should we be doing if we find our souls in turmoil? God's going to teach us something from this psalm. This is a song of instruction for the people of God. And we want to lean in and listen to God. We want to lean in and learn how to navigate through these seasons when our souls are in turmoil. I want to point out that we're going to talk about what happens to this man, but the specifics as to how he got where he is, we don't have them. Okay? This psalm, because of that reason, it remains a very general psalm. There's a lot that we don't know. And I really believe that God did that on purpose. Okay? He made it general so that this psalm can apply to all different types of Christians in this room, walking through all different types of things. Okay? God has something to teach all of us from His Word today. This psalm is a, it, it applies to all of us today. And I want to encourage you to lean in and listen as we walk through Psalm 42. Think about this, and I want you to feel this in your bones very, very soon. 
Part of, part of youth is, 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 is sinful arrogance. Okay? That you never think anything bad is going to happen to you. And I just want to warn you from, from this text that very, very soon you might need this encouragement from God more than you ever dreamed of. You might need to learn how to fight sorrow and how to fight sadness more than you ever dreamed of. And some of you know that already. Amen. Some of you have been baptized into that, that suffering already. Okay? And your walk with Jesus. And I want to encourage also the people as members of Grace Community Church. I want you to, in your mind, don't look physically. I want you to just think right now about your brothers and sisters that are in this room with you. That you know that they are walking through hard things. Things that cause deep sadness in the soul. And you know that some of your brothers and sisters in this room, they've been downcast and they've been fighting for weeks, months. And you know them. You know their name. And what we want to do as the people of God is we want to lean in and we want to say, God, move today. God, speak to them today. Encourage them today. Be the living God in your church. Come, come cause your light to pierce through their darkness and lift their face to the heavens. Amen. So I want to encourage you to pray. Pray the whole time I'm preaching today that God would encourage your brothers and sisters. Encourage those who are downcast among us. So here's the question. That we're going to launch into today. Here's the question that we all need to face. What will you do when your world begins to unravel and you find your soul in turmoil because your God seems distant from you? What will you do? Will you roll over and give yourself to despair? Will you roll over and give yourself to this despair as a disciple of Jesus? Or will you make war? Will you fight the fight of faith? Will you make war to believe God? Fight to the death to hope in your God. What will you do when this type of season hits you? What will you do? Let's start with the first heading on your outline. I want to unpack the causes of this man's condition. This man finds himself in turmoil. And we want to take a look at why. Why is he there? Why is he there? And I want to start with this. There is no mention of this inner turmoil in this psalm. There is no mention of it being connected to personal sin. No mention of it in this psalm. Now, that does not mean that this man was sinless and perfect. Doesn't. It just means that God doesn't want us to connect this situation in this man's life to a moral failure. It's, you can't always draw a straight line between bad things happening to you and bad seasons in your life and personal sin. You can't do that. That is the exact error of the friends of Job in the book of Job that get rebuked by God for making that straight line connection. There is no connection in Psalm 42 to his personal sin. And yet he finds himself in turmoil. Why? What caused it? What caused it? Not personal sin, but this psalm tells us that this man was attacked by his enemies. He was attacked. Did you know that could happen to you? As a disciple of Jesus, you're walking through this world, serving Christ, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happens to you that you had nothing to do with. You're attacked. This man was attacked by his enemies. And these enemies were real. And I believe there's a twofold group in this psalm. And I want to show that to you in verse 9. Twofold group of enemies. In verse 9, there was a group of enemies that was oppressing this man. Oppressing this man. And then also in verse 10, 
there was a group of adversaries that were taunting this man. This man was being oppressed by a group of enemies and taunted by a group of adversaries. The first group violently attacked him. And the second group mocked him. Okay? Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but some type of attack came upon this man and he found himself being oppressed by his enemies. We don't know what, but look at verse 6. Look in verse 6. In verse 6, this temple singer, Jerusalem dweller, finds himself in verse 6 in the land of Jordan, around Mount Hermon and Mount Mazar. And that's about as far north in Israel as you could possibly go. He is hundreds of miles away from the temple of God. Something has happened in this man's life so severe that it has literally driven him away from the temple. Driven him away from the worship of God. Several days journey away from where this man is supposed to be. Okay? He was attacked by his enemies. And I believe that there's another group that we're introduced to. These are the mockers of verse 10, the taunters. And it's like once he gets there in the land of Jordan, it's like he begins to be surrounded by a group of pagan mockers. And they discern that something's happening in this man's life where it seems like God has abandoned this man. And they began to launch their attack at him. Where is your God? Where is your God? And they're mocking him. They're mocking his God. And they're mocking him constantly. And I believe that there's one more group behind this attack that we can't see in this song. And I believe that Satan and demons are behind the phrase, Where is your God? That phrase is literally a slander. And I want to talk to you about that word for a second. A slander is a lie. But it's a lie with a very specific purpose. And the purpose of slander is to defame and to distort someone's character. Okay? So, for example, Aaron, this is no, nothing personal here. It just came to me. If I said, you know, I saw Aaron drink five cups of coffee before he came in. You know, I didn't. I'm lying about him. But if I say I saw Aaron flirting with so-and-so, I'm lying about him, but with a specific aim this time, I'm trying to tear down the character of that man. That's what slander is. It's a lie with the intent to defame and to slander. Now, you need to know that Satan and demons do this. Satan is called the father of lies. That means he originates them. They come from him. He's the origin of them. He's the father of lies. But there's a very specific lie called slander that, that Satan and demons speak mainly about God. Did you know that? They will attack your thoughts of God with phrases like, Where is your God? Where is your God? That is a slanderous arrow to defame the reputation of the living God who is always there. And they mock Him and they taunt Him. They slander this God and they say, Where is He? Where is your God? You have to know. You have to know that Satan will, guaranteed, he will attack you in seasons like this in your life. And part of the reason of, of deception in spiritual warfare is to, is to find us in an unguarded place. And what I mean by that 
is in these seasons more than any other seasons in your life, your mind is vulnerable to believing lies about God. Trials can do that. Suffering can do that. It can, it, it can distort things about God in your mind because things are hard to explain. You don't understand as clearly as you once did. And all of a sudden, the voice of the slander, something slides across your mind. Where is your God? And He is attacking your thoughts of God. You need to know this. He has no mercy on you in your moments of weakness. Even some of the most wicked people on this planet, you know, even thoughts like this, at least they won't harm a little baby. At least they won't harm a child. At least they won't harm the most helpless among us, the most weak among us. Satan hates you to the core. He has no mercy on you in your moments of weakness. And I want you to know this about the evil one. In these moments, he will attack your thoughts of God. He will attack your thoughts of God and He will do it through speaking lies to your mind. And I say this, that you would be on guard, that you would be a disciple of Jesus that discerns the voice of the slanderer. And I just want to underline this for a minute. If you don't pay attention to this, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you refuse to discern His voice, if you refuse to... Fight off his lies with the truth of God's word. You will get your teeth kicked down your throat spiritually. And that is not an overstatement. I promise you that. He will plow you into the ground. And that is a sad thing for me to even consider. People, brothers and sisters that I love. He will plow you into the ground. Unless you discern his voice. And go to war for truth in your mind. This is a real thing. Slander. So don't be surprised. In seasons of sadness and hard seasons of your life, if a thought rolls across your mind that sounds something like this, where is your God? I thought you said He was powerful. I thought you said He was sovereign over all. I thought you said His kingdom rules over all that He has made. I thought you said that your God was good. Where is your God? Where is He? Your God is distant from you. He's not the God near you. He's, he, your God, I thought you said your God was for you. He looks like He's against you. Where is your God? That's the voice of the slanderer. And you need to be able to discern it. And replace the voice of the slanderer with the truth of God's Word. Go to war in your mind to think right thoughts of God. This has to happen in your life. So this man was attacked by his enemies. But the, as far as the cause of this man's condition, as far as the cause, more than anything else, it can be traced to God Himself. More than anything else, this man finds himself where he is because of the sovereign design and purpose of God. Some people hate language like that. They want to blame everything bad, everything sad on the devil. This psalm does not do that. It is biblical. This is biblical language. This man knows that he has fallen under the test of the sovereign one. He knows that. Look at verse 7. His enemies are attacking him. And that's real. But something's happening under this attack. Someone's sovereign over it all. And the author of Psalm 42 knows it. In verse 7, 
there's a vivid picture of roaring waterfalls and breakers and waves washing over this man. And if you read that verse, it's almost like he's describing, he's saying, I am drowning. I am being swept away by these roaring waterfalls. And then, and then who, does he, who does he say that they're from? Look at your Bible. Who does he say that they're from? Not Satan. He says, your waterfalls, your waves, your breakers, they're sweeping me away. He knows that he has fallen under the test of the sovereign God. This man has fallen under a God-ordained storm. And it is critical, it is critical, absolutely critical that you know this in hard seasons of your life. That these fall under God's sovereign hand every single season that you will ever walk through. Your God is sovereign over it all. And He has a plan. And He has a purpose. And He has a design for what He brings into your life. God is sovereign. And the reason this man is here is because he has fallen under the test of a sovereign God. That's the causes. Let's look at the man's condition. This is point number two on your outline. We'll start in verse 1 and 2. We're going to skip around a little bit this morning. Verse 1 and 2. This man has fallen into a dire spiritual hunger. Listen to verse 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So in verse 1, he uses a metaphor about a deer. And I want you to understand this. This is helpful to me. This has been helpful to me. Okay? I feel like I, I have inappropriately interpreted the tone of this psalm for a long time. This metaphor is given about a deer panting. And the only other time that word panting is used in the, in the Old Testament is in Joel 1.20. And in Joel 1.20, that word is used to describe a drought that has hit the land, sucked up all the water out of the land, and then fires begin to burn across this land, and then deer are panting for water. And the reason I point that out, this is not a picture of a deer running all day and he wants a little bit of water, he's thirsty. Okay, The picture that God has given us in this song is that he is about to die under drought. That deer is panting. He's about to go out. He's about to dry, to die under drought. And then he rolls it straight into this metaphor about his longing, his panting for God. And what that means is when he says, So pants my soul for you, O God. That is not the language of a man, a disciple of Jesus, who's satisfied in Christ and just wants more of the Lord. Okay? We talk like that sometimes, and that is biblical language. I just want more of the things of Jesus. I just want more of Christ. That is good. That is good language. It's just not what's happening here. Okay? This is not a satisfied man that wants more. This is a man that feels like he is about to die unless he gets God. Unless he gets God, he feels like he is about to die. His soul is panting for God. The object of his thirst in verse 2 is the living God. And I want you to think about that phrase. I love the names of God in Scripture, and that's probably one of my favorite ones. Why, why does the Holy Spirit give us adjectives like that in His Word? Why not just, I long for God? Why does He say the living God? That's the one I want, the living God. Do you see how rich that is? This man is so desperate, okay? 
that intellectual only Christianity and knowing facts about God and, 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 and heady intellectual doctrines about the Bible. This man could care less about those things. He wants to go far past stories about God and facts about God. He said, I long for the living God. That's the one that I must have. And if I don't have Him, I feel like I'm about to die. The living God. And I want to remind us that the God of Scripture, He's not an idea to be talked about with you and your friends and your family. He is a person to be worshipped and communed with and served. He is the living God. He's not the God that's locked in a book. He's the living God that wrote a living book. He is, he's not the God who was. He's God in the present tense. The living God. That means He acts, He moves, He delivers now. He breaks into our reality. He's the living God. The living God. He's made His name. He's revealed Himself to us as the living God. Jeremiah 10, verse 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Listen to Daniel 6.26. This is, this is what they said after God, the living God, delivers Daniel from the roaring lions in Daniel 6. Daniel 6.26 says, All people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for it is He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. He is the living God all throughout history. The same yesterday, today, and forever. You remember the story when He reveals Himself to Moses by the bush that's in blazing fire. He didn't come to Moses and tell him His name was, I was. He came to Moses and revealed Himself forever as the I Am. That is the God of Scripture. He's not an idea to be studied. He's a person to be worshipped. And this man is longing for the living God. Verse 3, to be brought into the presence of God. Brought before the face of God in verse 3. He must have the presence of the living God or he feels like he's about to die. Verse 3, he is longing for a real experience. If you're uncomfortable with this language, you need to hang tight for a second. This man is longing for a real experience with God. He is longing for conscious contact with the Holy One. He is longing for something discernible to happen relationally between Him and God. For God to draw near to Him. For Him to be experience God's presence. The presence of the living God. And we've talked about this before. If you don't understand the difference in Scripture, the manifest presence of God and the omnipresence of God, you will never get this type of language. Okay? The Bible teaches that God is present everywhere in all of His creation. Okay? That is not the type of presence that he is longing for in verse 3. He is longing for the special presence of God where God reveals Himself to His people in a relational way. And there's closeness with the living God. This is what this man is longing for. For him, the metaphor teaches us that this experience of drawing near to God, of experiencing the presence of God, it's not a mystical thing. It's, it's just as real of an experience, just as concrete as a, as a deer that's about to, to die going to flowing streams and sucking down water. 
immediate satisfaction. He knows that if he gets into the presence of God, he gets who his, his soul desires. Immediately satisfies his soul. And this is what you see him longing for. And let's just talk about this for a second. This man's world is falling apart. And what's the first thing that he asked for? Somebody tell me. God. First thing a man asks for when his world has fallen to pieces is God. This man is not an idolater. He doesn't want deliverance more than he wants God. He doesn't want God's gifts more than he wants God. He says, if I don't have God, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And I want you to examine your life. When you go through hard seasons, what's the longing of your soul? What is the thing that you feel like, if I don't get this, I feel like I can't even go on living. There's a pastor, Tim Keller says, your idol in life, your idols are whatever you think you can't live without. What can this man not live without? God. And if you find yourself gravitating towards, I got to have this and the answer is not God, you have identified an idol in your life and, and you need to repent. You need to remove that idol. It has, it has taken the place of the Holy One in your life. This man longed for Christ and nothing else. That's the book of Colossians. That's the message summed up in just a summary statement. Jesus plus nothing and you have all things. We sing this song a lot at this church. Hallelujah! All I have is Christ. And that's what this man is longing for. A relational experience with Jesus. Okay, This is not an idolater crying out to God. This man is longing for his God. Next, I want you to notice that his desire is affecting his physical body. Verse, verse 3. He's not eating. His tears have become his food. He has no appetite for food. And what you see is that the rhythms of this man's life are being disrupted. He has no appetite for food. Only God. He's not sleeping. Why? Because his tears are keeping him up day and night. Not eating, not sleeping. Surface level Christianity, happy clappy, knows nothing about. Knows nothing of mourning, of sorrow, of being disturbed in the normal rhythms of your life because communion with Christ is cold. It's, it disturbed this man. Does that happen in your life? When you feel far from Jesus, do you just keep kicking the can down the road and do your to-do list and put your head down and busy yourself with mundane tasks? Is it business as usual for you when God seems far from you? Because it disturbed this man. He had trouble going through the, the natural rhythms of his life because he didn't have his God. He didn't discern the relational experience of his God. And I just want to encourage you with this. If you are not experiencing this in your life, closeness with Jesus, it is appropriate for you to be sad about that. You should be sad about that. You should weep some tears over the distance that you feel between you and Jesus. And that's what we see Him doing here. He's grieving. The most important thing in this man's life has been pulled away from him. He's grieving. To make things worse, verse 4, this man is being tormented by memories in his own mind. So in verse 4, he sits back and he begins to think and to remember and to play reruns in his life about his previous days. Verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng 
and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So what he's experiencing, this man has not always been this way. He looks back and he can see times of closeness with Jesus. Times where he was just engulfed with the praise of God. That This is a reference here to the festive to festivals. These are the, the national feast in Israel. Thousands packing into the holy city to sing the praise of God together. And he says, I used to lead those. I used to praise my God with the people of God. And what he's experiencing now is very different than what his previous experience was. And so it's like as he thinks back to, to his, what his relationship with Jesus used to be, it's like a dagger that's tormenting him. Because it's providing such a contrast between what he has now and what he, what he once had with Jesus. And he's disturbed by these things. The multitude-keeping festival. Remember, this man was a worship leader in Jerusalem. And now he's exiled far away from the temple. So, these are the causes of his condition and his condition. Okay, These are some things of why he found himself in this particular season and what this season felt like in this man. And now I want to transition to this. So what did he do? And if you find yourself in a season like this, what do you do? What are we supposed to be doing if we find our souls downcast and in turmoil within us? And what I want us to see is that this psalm is an example of a man going to war for, for closeness with Christ and for joy in Jesus. He continually beats against his discouragement. You see that in verse 5, in verse 11, 8, and 9. He, he just continually beats against this discouragement. Verse 5 is probably the main thing that I want to leave you with today. The main thing that I want you to walk out of this room and remember today is what happens in verse 5 and in verse 11. Okay? What should you be doing if you find yourself in the middle of a season like this? Remember, this is a song of instruction, a mascal. God wants to teach you how to go to war for joy in Jesus. How to fight against sorrow in the Christian life. So here we go, verse 5. This is what the man begins to do. He's tormented by his memories. And he launches into verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is repeated again in verse 11. So he did it more than one time. That's the picture. The first thing I want you to ask here is, who is this man talking to? Who is he talking to in verse 5? Not talking to his enemies. He's not talking to God. In verse 5. He is talking to himself. Did you know that the Bible teaches that this is a good thing to do? This doesn't mean you're crazy. This means that you're a wise, godly man or woman fighting for joy in Jesus. He is talking to himself. He's talking to himself. If you are experiencing a soul that's cast down before God, the number one thing that you need to learn how to do, is you need to learn how to preach to yourself. You need to learn how to preach to yourself. This will radically change your life. This is foundational. You cannot fight for joy in Jesus unless you understand this. You have to learn to preach to yourself. Why? Because you have a liar in you. 
Your soul will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. Your emotions, your circumstances, your enemies will lie to you. They will lie to you. So what do you do? You preach the truth to yourself. In the midst of those lies, you preach the truth to yourself. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is a famous quote from his book, Spiritual Depression. Listen to what he says. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression in a sense is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. They bring back yesterday's problems. Yourself is talking to you. And then he says, now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he, st he starts talking to himself. He stands up and says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. You see that? He said your number one problem in life is that you're listening to yourself think all the time instead of to preaching the truth of the Word of God to yourself. And what he's getting at is this, because we are are self-aware human beings created in the image of God. We are aware of ourself. We are in a never-ending, constant conversation with ourself. Do you understand that? And what he's saying is, you have to learn how to do warfare in that area. You have to learn how to interrupt the internal dialogue and begin to launch the truth of God's Word and preach it to yourself. We have to preach the Word of God, the truth to every part of our souls that, that refuse to line up with who God is and who He promises to be to us in Jesus. That's what you see this man doing here. First, what's the first thing he did? He said, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. That is an example of a man stopping the internal dialogue and he began to question the emotions that he was feeling. Does that make sense? Now, here, here's what we know. The emotions that we feel are real, but it doesn't mean that they are right. And he knows that. They're real emotions, but he knows they're not right. So he stops the internal dialogue and he says, why are you cast down? That he's rebuking himself. Do you do that? Do you do that to yourself? When you are thinking inappropriate thoughts of God, of who he is, who he's promised to be to us in Jesus, do you rebuke yourself with the truth of God's Word. You have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to rebuke and correct yourself. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. This man begins to urge himself to take joy in God. And he, he, he commands himself and he says, Hope in God! What if, what if somebody that you love walked around the corner and caught you doing this? Hope in God! So, you're preaching to yourself. This man is commanding himself to take joy in in Jesus, hope in God. Do you ever preach to yourself like this? Do you ever remind yourself of the promises and the nature and the character of God? Do you do this? This is an Old Testament version of what you hear us talk about a lot. It's an Old Testament version of preaching the gospel to yourself. And I want that to be clear to you. What, what are you supposed to be preaching to yourself? If you're, if you're trying to encourage your soul... If you launch into hope in God so you have a beautiful family and a great marriage and a great job, what happens 
if tomorrow you have none of those things. You have to preach the foundation of your joy. And the only foundation that we can stand on is the gospel of Jesus. You preach the gospel to yourself. The unshakable foundation of what God has done for us in Jesus. This is how you preach yourself happy in Christ. You can walk into a conversation with yourself filled with sorrow and preach the gospel to yourself and walk away encouraged in Jesus, happy in Jesus. This can happen. The living God has ordained this. So I want to give you an example. What would this look like? What would this look like? No one else around? And you know you're called to Christ. You know that you are bored with Jesus. You know that, that He feels hundreds of miles away from you. What would a conversation look like with yourself where you are doing exactly what this man did, commanding yourself to hope in God? And I want to give you an example these are the types of things that that would sound like. Soul, you got to practice that. Sounds weird when you first do it. Soul, hope in God. Soul, God loves you and sent Jesus to live the life that you should have lived. Soul, you know you are wicked to the core. And you deserve the righteous punishment of God. But Jesus has displayed great love for you. So, Christ has laid down His life for you on His bloody cross. He has been slaughtered for your forgiveness. So, the resurrection of Jesus, it proved to you that the payment that Jesus made for your sins was sufficient forever it is finished on your behalf. So you are no longer an object of the righteous wrath of God. You are a son of God. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Reminding yourself of the mighty thing that God has done for us. Wrath of God has been swallowed up for me. And through faith alone, we have been justified by the free grace and the mercy of God. Praise to our God. So you are no longer far off. You have been adopted as a, as a son of the living God. Hope. In the God of your salvation. Hope in the God that has done this mighty thing for you in Jesus. So, God slaughtered His only Son for you. God slaughtered His only Son for you. Your greatest need in this world has already been met. Forever. It has been finished on your behalf. So, God now deals with you as though you were clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. So hope in God. The Father has already given Jesus for you. How would He not with Jesus freely give you all things? Hope in God. So hope in the God of Deuteronomy 33. There is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. So hope in God rides through the heavens to your help. Something like that has got to be happening in these seasons where you find yourself disoriented. If you roll over and believe these lies, you have no hope of deliverance. God, this is the means that God blesses. You preach to yourself. You preach to yourself. You have to learn how to preach yourself happy in Jesus by bombarding your mind and your heart with the gospel. The mighty thing that God has done for you in Jesus. God is using this man in this song to teach you how to fight. He's really doing that. 
That's the purpose of the song. He is teaching you how to fight, how to remind yourself of who God is and what He has done for you. Hope in God. The second lesson is this. What else should we be doing? Anything else? So we're talking to ourselves. We're preaching to ourselves. We're reminding ourselves of the gospel. Look at verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8 and 9. This man finds himself offering prayer to the God of his life. Verse 3 says he's pouring out his soul to the Lord. So he's talking to himself and he's talking to God. And you need to know this. One of the things that we're tempted to do probably more than anything else in seasons of sadness is we'll call up a friend and we will run the mouth for 30, 45 minutes about everything in our life that is going wrong. And then we turn around and we call out to God for maybe 30 seconds. This man didn't do that. He poured out his soul to God. He's pouring out a prayer to the God of his life. Not just preaching to himself, he's praying. And this is a reminder for you in seasons like this, the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace, they are more important for you in these seasons than ever before. I want to underline that. This has to be happening in your life. You have to go after God in the means that He has ordained. And you, you know how this works. In these seasons, even if you find yourself not getting anywhere and find yourself discouraged, you still press forward. And you still come to God. And you still come to the throne of grace. So in verse 8, he prays to the God of his life, his rock. I want to point out two things of his prayer. It's an honest prayer. In verse 9, he really does say to God, why have you forgotten me? He, he's honest with the Lord. He knows that God hasn't forgotten him because he called God his rock and he's expressing faith to God. He knows that this hasn't happened, but he feels like it. He feels like God has forgotten him. And he's honest with the Lord in prayer. And you need to be too. You need to pour out your soul to the Lord. He desires this. But something more is going on there. This is not a pity party in prayer of, of you just telling God everything that's going wrong in your life. In the midst of being honest with the Lord, He's expressing faith in God. He calls God His rock. The, the God of His life. In verse 8, He says... The Lord commands His steadfast love. He knows that His God has not forgotten Him. He knows that His God is for Him. And you see Him praying, and He's honest, but He's also praying with confidence. And this is our model. Pray with honesty, pour out your soul to the Lord, but pray with faith. It does, it does no good in your life for you to pray to God and tell Him what's wrong unless you believe God. Unless you believe that God hears you and that He acts. So I want to encourage you with this. You have to know that you are praying to the living God. He really hears us in Jesus. He answers the prayer of His people. He is the living God. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer. That's His promise. He will answer. He's the living God. Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to His elect? who cried to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. What if that verse came to your mind in the midst of discouragement? My God will answer me speedily. I will call and He will answer. Or what about 1 John chapter 5, 
Verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that because He hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So I'm reminding you today that He really does hear us in Jesus. When we pray the will of God to our God, He hears us and He answers He's the God of Isaiah 64, verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. That's our God. Our God is not the one who casts His people far off. Our God is the one who works and acts for the ones who wait for Him. The ones who call out to Him in faith and wait for God to move. This is the God that we pray to. As we start to wrap up, I want to point out two things in the psalm. And these are, these are really to draw things to a close. And the first is the process. And then I want to talk to you real quick about the progress of the psalm. The process of the psalm, here's the reason. I want you to have realistic expectations of what this can look like. What do you mean? I mean, this psalm is a picture of some repetition. Don't get it in your mind that you can go preach the gospel to yourself one time and you're good. That is not the picture that you get here. This man is wrestling with God. He is warring with God. He is beating against discouragement in his life. And you don't see anything about a quick fix in this psalm. He is continually making war, but he does not stop. He does not stop. He continues to fight the fight of faith. That's the process. You, God, may design this for you, for, for your good and for His glory, that you walk through an intense, long, hard battle for closeness with Jesus. You need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. But you cannot stop fighting. Next, look at the progress of the psalm. So we don't have a quick fix. That's not the encouragement that this psalm leaves us with. But I want you to notice the progress. This psalm started with a man that basically said this. I'm about to die. God help me. I need you. That's basically what verse 1 says. And then the last part of verse 11, that same man says this, I shall again praise Him. He is filled with confidence. And this one that's downcast, he is full of confidence, expectant hope that he knows that his God is going to deliver him. He knows that God is going to pierce through the darkness with His light. He knows that God is going to lift His face. He knows this about God. So this, this psalm, as it closes, here's the progress. This man has gone from downcast and now he's in a state of expectancy. God move. God break through this season. God deliver me. And this is what I'm praying that God would do in this church. We do not want to be a happy, clappy church superficial joy in Jesus. Too blessed to be stressed. That's, that is not what a walk with Christ looks like. We want to be a people that have been trained by our God in seasons of sadness that we go to war for communion and closeness with Jesus. And in those seasons that we are filled with confidence. I want to praise God and I can't now, but I know that I will praise Him again. I know that my God will deliver me. This is the type of people that we want to ask God to raise us up to be. And this is how we navigate through these seasons to the glory of Christ. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Isn't that a paradox? 
sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's Jesus. So progress may be slow, but God will comfort us. He will comfort us. He will draw near to us. And I pray for us as a church to receive these instructions from God. And Romans 15, 13 says it better than I could. So I want to, I want to close, begin to close with this verse. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May God do that hundreds of times over in our life. Fill us with all joy and peace in believing. The God of all hope. Amen. Alright, here's the last thing I want to leave you with. We know that this Bible is about a person. It's about Christ. The entire Word of God is about Jesus. Okay? It's a revelation of Jesus to humanity. And I want to point this out to us that this psalm, Psalm 42, it is ultimately, ultimately a picture and a narrative of our Lord. And so I want to close our time and I just want us to behold Him. I just want us to see Him in His glory, to see just a few of His glorious perfections in Psalm 42. You say, what do you mean? I don't see anything about Jesus in Psalm 42. Here's what I mean. Have you ever felt attacked in your life? Have you ever felt blindsided out of nowhere? Attacked by your enemies? Have you ever felt like you have fallen under the sovereign testing of God? Well, a man in Psalm 42 did feel that way. A righteous man. But Jesus more so. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus, Jesus our Lord... The glorious one, he is the perfect example, the ultimate expression of, a, of the righteous one that falls under the attack of his enemies. The last hour, he says that he was delivered into the hour of darkness, the power of darkness. He, he falls into an attack of Satan and demons. He's the ultimate expression of this. And yet that same hour is the hour for which He came into the world. And you see Jesus going to war in the Garden of Gethsemane to obey the will of God. To pass this sovereign test that God had placed on Him. And what did He do? He became obedient to the Father even to the point of death. Even to death on the cross. He's the ultimate expression of this. Have you ever been troubled in your soul? You ever, you ever experienced turmoil in your soul? The man in Psalm 42, he was in turmoil, but Jesus was more so. Do you understand this? In the garden, he told us that he, his soul was troubled unto death. He was about to die. And he began to sweat. Drops of blood began to sweat out of his body. He was in such turmoil. He's the ultimate expression of a soul in turmoil. Have you ever felt like God, unless you draw near to me, I am about to die. Jesus more so. On His cross, He is the ultimate expression of a man longing for the presence of God. On His cross, the separation from the Father comes down on Jesus. And just moments before He dies, He looks, he looks out and He says, I thirst. Man, thirsty. To be with God. That's a picture of His longing to be with His Father. Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Cast away from God? Far from God? This man in Psalm 42, he felt that way. It's a real feeling. But he felt that way. It wasn't true. He felt that he was forsaken by God. 
But Jesus is the ultimate manifestation because Jesus, the righteous one, He was. He was cut off from God. He was consumed under the righteous wrath of the Holy One. The curse of God literally consumes Christ and He is forsaken, cut off from God. Absolutely plunged into the outer darkness. So you might feel forsaken by God, but Jesus was. He bore the full penalty of the wrath of God. Why? Why? So that we could turn around as His people, as His disciples, and that we could boast in our God. Because of what Jesus has done, we will never know what it means to be forsaken by God. You understand that? He's there. He's the ultimate expression for us. For us. We may feel these things, but in His life they were reality. And they were reality in, in His life because He was our substitute. He was forsaken so that we never have to be forsaken. And the reason I point that out is this. Is that we enter into these Psalm 42 seasons of life. We enter into these seasons with promises. New covenant promises that are, more, that are better and more vivid than this man had. You say, what do you mean? The Son of God has been slaughtered in our place. The Son of God has been slaughtered for us. God, God the Son has been forsaken so that we never will be forsaken by God. This gives us a place to war, to war, to preach the gospel to ourselves. So we have to fight to believe this glorious gospel that, we've been forget, that we have been given in Jesus. And I want to close with this verse. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. In my mind, this is an example in Scripture of, of just what we're talking about. Alright? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The God that created all things by His Word. The God that can never lie. The God of power. The God of glory said He would never forsake you. Listen how the verse finishes. So, we can confidently say... The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come in Your name, Lord. God, we ask that You would use Your Word. God, I pray again for those among us, Lord, who are discouraged and downcast. God, I pray and I ask You, Lord, to do a discernible work in their life to deliver them, God. I pray, God, that You would be their salvation and the lifter of their head. And Lord, I pray that You would help them to do battle, Lord. Help them to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus to, to themselves, Lord. God, I pray that You would remind us of the glory of this message. For the rest of our days, Lord, help us to make war, to be satisfied in You above all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.